Well, we welcome our sister to the meeting tonight. We're very glad to have her and renew fellowship with her. And we're going to ask her to come and get, bring a word of testimony. I'm going to go down and sit down there, but uh, our sister can hand the meeting back to me when she is finished. But we're going to ask our sister Margaret to come at this stage and bring a word of testimony. Well, I thank and praise the Lord that I can come to give a word of testimony because it's because of the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ and him shedding his blood to make sure I get into heaven. And it says in uh, Romans 1 and verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Um, I was born into a Roman Catholic home. Um, I'm a, from a family of ten. I'm the third in the family. Um, so whenever I was born, we lived just at the bottom of where the Glenshian Pass is now, but they were tumbling our house to build the Glenshian Pass. So my father's father lived on, on his own up at the top of the hill uh, and the, on the Glenshian Pass, and he said that we were to go up and live with him. Uh, we went up to live with him. My granny had died when she was 54 of the massive coronary, and granddad was on his own. My dad was only a child, so he was too glad to get my father back home, I think. But I think it got more than he bargained for because Mummy and Daddy and three of us arrived. And before they had finished, there was ten of us and Mummy and Daddy. So there's quite a crowd in the house. But I have to thank God tonight for the family that I had. Uh, we knew what it was like to be loved by a mother and father. And who did without to see that we got when we were growing up. But we were taught in the things of Rome from a very early age. I can remember, I suppose, one of my first memories after moving in with grandfather would have been that um, I, we would have been made to kneel down at night around the fireside and he would have given out the rosary and we would have had to have answered it. And I have to say tonight that I never learned to pray until the Lord saved me. But I went over that thinking that those things were going to get me into heaven. And while I'm not here tonight to ridicule any church, what I'm going to say is I don't know what other people were trying to do to get into heaven, but that's what I was trying to do. And you might belong to this church and you think by attending the church or coming to the Sunday school, that'll get you into heaven. It's only by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and by accepting that you're a sinner and that he died to save you and asking him into your heart to save you and forgive your sins that you can get into heaven. But I didn't know that. So I did what I thought was right and what I was taught to do. I can remember also another memory that I have was that at three and a half, my two sisters started school. I have an older sister, she's two, two years older than me, and my next sister's one year older. And then I came the next year, so my mother's head must have been boiled. We came along year after year. But uh, my two sisters went to primary school and followed Lynn Primary School just on the Glenshian Pass. And my mother maintained that I roared that much, she sent me the next day. And I went to school when I was three and a half. Now that doesn't say I was very well educated. We had very good teachers, but I liked school for the school dinners, for the fun that we had, but I didn't particularly want to learn a lot. I went along to that school and what I wasn't taught about Rome and the sacraments of the church, I was taught in the, in the school. Uh, the priest came in every week and he put us over all the sacraments we had to go through as Roman Catholic children to get into heaven. Now, I know now that those were wrong, but I didn't know it at the time. 
I can remember one of the first things that we had to do was to learn to make our confessions. And we went along for six months to a catechism class. Now, the catechism that we learned from was not the catechism that you use, because it would not have suited Roman Catholic children not to bow down before idols. But anyway, they taught us from the Roman Catholic catechism, uh, and whenever the priest thought we knew enough after that six months, uh, he put us over some questions. We were told then that we could come along on a Saturday morning and give our confessions, confess our sins to the priest. And I remember going along. We had a small school. There was three classrooms but there was, uh, and three teachers, but there was an awful lot of children in that school. Uh, families of 10 were a common thing. There was one family, there was 23 of them. So you can imagine what that was like. But I can remember going along that Saturday morning to the chapel to have my confessions heard, and I was the last child in the second pew, and there was two big pews, and every time they moved along, one went into the confessional box, came out again, I moved along with them. And finally it was my turn to go into that confession box, and whenever I went into it, I forgot everything I had been taught. I was terrified. I looked through at the wee grill at the priest, and I couldn't remember one thing that I had to tell him. So I just told more lies. My mum and dad never taught us to lie, but I could do it well, because I was born as you are, a sinner, with my back towards heaven and my face towards hell. And those things were natural for me, because I had the son of Adam in my heart, and I could just tell lies. So I just went in there and I told him a bundle of stuff. I don't know what I told him, but it wasn't right anyway. And I came out and he gave me a whole lot of prayers to say around the Stations of the Cross. That's 14 pictures depicting the life of Christ uh, around the chapel. And you had to say so many Hail Marys and so many Our Fathers. Now I thank God to have the Word of God in my hand now. And I got it when I was coming up to 18 years of age. And I know that it says in First Timothy 2, verse, verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So I was to learn that no man could forgive sins, but I didn't know any better at the time. So I did what I was told. After we had our first confessions, then we made our first communion. And that was where we were taught by the priest that we were taking the actual body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ into our mouth, and we took that wafer into our mouth. Again, I thank God for his word, and his word keeps you right. And it says in Hebrews, uh, or in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, it says very clearly, if I can find it here, And every priest standeth daily, ministering and often offering Sorry, I'll start again. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But this man, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. The Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for me, and he paid the price for my sin. And he rose again from the grave after three days, and he sits at the right hand of the Father, having completed the work. And he provides us with that way into heaven. But I didn't know any better, and I went to Mass. I went to confessions. I went to the First Communion. I had that done. And the next big event would have come up when I was about 10 years of age, and I went to have confirmation. And this is where you were told you were becoming a soldier of Christ. And the bishop of the county came along, and he patted you in the head. Again, we had to go to confirmation classes, and you had your confirmation where you were confirmed as a Roman Catholic, and you're confirmed as a soldier of Christ. And I never had asked the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart because I didn't know I had to at that time. But I did what I thought I, I could do to get myself into heaven. 
But I can say that from a very early age, I knew I was going to hell. I remember uh, many a time praying that I wouldn't die and go out into darkness. But at eight and a half, God took a dealing in my life that was to change the path for me. Um, my grandfather that we lived with was killed on the Glenshane Pass. He was coming home from his work. He had a small farm, but it was mainly a rushy farm, and he could graze cattle and sheep on it, but he couldn't have made a living off it. So what he did was he had a job in the DOE. Not many of you will remember the DOE, but I suppose it was the Department for Social Development lately. But Granda worked on, as a surface man. And again, you'll not know many, not many I'll know about a surface man, but they used to read out the gutters and the shucks around the country and keep the roads nice and tidy. And he did that full time as well as run the wee farm. And he was on his way home from work one day and he decided to go into my granny's grave. And he was saying the rosary over her grave. He had that done. And he went back on to Glencian Pass and he was killed. Uh, many years later, we were to learn that he was murdered, but we didn't know that at the time. And I thank God that we didn't know it at the time because I have six brothers and I don't know what would have been involved in it, but God has a, had a plan. And uh, after Granda was killed, my father went to pieces really for a while and the home was a very sad place. I suppose it's the first time ever I had an encounter with death in the family and it made an impression. It made an impression that I didn't want to die and go out into darkness, I could tell you that. But after Grandad was di uh, died, my other granny and Grandad, my granda and Granny McGuigan, who lived outside of Drippertown, uh, they were very precious to us. I suppose your granny and Grandad as anyway, for they let you off with a whole, whole lot more than your mother and father would. But uh, I just loved my granny to bits. And we used to go up every weekend and spend a Sunday with her after Mass when we weren't out playing camogie and things. But I went up, uh, one, this one particular day, I could hear my mother and my grandmother having a conversation. And uh, Granny had rheumatoid arthritis. She was actually very poorly with it, and she had to use a wee later. And my granddad, McGuigan, had bronchitis. And I suppose, really, if he had a proper diagnosis, like now, he had lung cancer. And they were both getting very frail. And Granny asked my mother if one of the children, one of the Wayans she talked about, could go up and stay with her. Now, my older sister was 10, just coming 11, and they went to her and they asked her if she would stay, and she said no. I think the oldest of the family had a very privileged position, and Susanna believed we were all there to save her, or to serve her. And they came to my next sister, and she didn't want to go either, Bridget, because she wanted to be at home all the time. But I was just mad to get to stay with my granny. And there was a couple of reasons for that. First one was that I loved her very much, but the second one was I knew if I got to live with granny, I would have a room of my own, and I could keep it tidy. Our boys were absolutely mad, and you couldn't get a space in the house. You can imagine what it was like. So when I mean, Mommy says to me, you're far too wee, Margaret, to be going up to look after your granny. And I says, Mommy, I have to work around home anyway. So I must have made a, a, an argument anyway, and she said, well, you can stay with her at weekends, and we'll see how that goes. So I got to live with my granny at the weekends and my school holidays, and then the other time I was off, and you know, that was when God took a dealing in my life because he started separating me out from the family. I can remember um, the first thing my granny did. And I went up on a Friday night. My uncle had a shop in Mahara and uh, he, he left me in the way by and I went up to stay with granny. I had an uncle who lived with my granny, but uh, he had a couple of shops and he was always very busy. So my uncle lifted me in the way home from the shop and I went up to stay with granny and I thought I was going to get a lie-in on the Saturday morning. It was unheard of in our house to get a lie-in. So I thought I would get lying, and she wakened me at eight o'clock, get up that road to the chapel and join the League of Mary. So I thought this would be great, I'd get a uniform and all, but I spent my time 
cleaning old statues and idols and scraping wax off candlesticks every Saturday morning for the next few years. That was just the way I was reared. Um, but I lived on with my granny at the weekends and at school holidays. My two sisters had done the 11 plus and they had got to the convent school in Mackerfelt uh, and they were quite bright. I was coming along and I hadn't a care in the world and it was my turn to do 11 plus and my mother and my granny got together. You know our mothers are a lot wise than we give them credit for and I didn't give my mother a lot of credit for being wise but she had had a conversation with granny and they decided that I would live with granny all the time if I passed my 11 plus and this was put in front of me like a carrot if I was to work hard, I could live with Granny all the time. And I thought that would be great. So I worked very hard for a couple of months and I, I passed 11 plus and went to the convent school. And the only reason that my mother and Granny agreed to that was the school bus stopped outside her house. If I had been on the Glencian Pass in bad weather, you didn't get to school. So Mommy knew I needed every day I could get at school. So they had it all worked out and I went to live with my grandmother. But better than that, the Lord had a pathway there to bring me away from the family. Now, mum and daddy still had a lot of control over my life, and, uh, but that's where God would have me to go. And I went to live with my granny, and I absolutely loved it. I lived with her for about a year and a couple of months. And I came home from school one day, and my uncle was in the house. It wasn't the day he should have been in the house. He had a Thursday half day. But this was, I don't know, it was a Wednesday or something. And uh, there he was in the house, and I couldn't find granny. And I says, where's granny? He says, she's in hospital, Margaret, she's very, very ill. And I thought, oh, they'll sort her out in hospital. So he was gathering her up bits and pieces that she needed in the hospital. And he says, come on, we'll go over and see her. And I went over, and at that stage, she was on a, a ventilator. And she was really very ill. Her kidneys had failed. I didn't realise that. But I suppose I was young and I wasn't thinking about it. And uh, I sat beside my granny for the next two and a half days, and I watched her dying. I was actually with her when she passed into eternity. And I can remember the priest coming in and giving her the last rites. I can remember him shaking holy water over her, getting us all around the bed to say the rosary. And yet and withal, when I was sitting beside Granny and she passed into eternity, the tears were running down her face. She had no assurance of where she was going. And I determined in my heart that day that I didn't want to die like that. I really didn't want to die like that. Well, I stayed on with Granny. Granny died just before Granny. And that was a lot of, a lot of impact in my life. After my granny and grandfather passed away, my uncle asked my mother if I could stay on and do a bit of work for him in the house and he would look out for me. And it was decided then I would stay on with him. And, you know, I wasn't much of a housewife at that time, or a houseworker even, but Uncle Joe put up with me and the Lord had me there for that purpose. I went to school from there, I went to chapel from there, I took part in any family events that were happening, but I was away from the family and God took it a dealing with me. I can remember one night, I was about 15 years of age, and my uncle had gone off to London to buy things for the shop, and I was in the house on my own. There was an awful storm, and I can remember lifting down three wee idols that I had. I can't even remember. It was supposed to be some saint or other, and Mary, and, and maybe Christ on the cross. And I lifted these down, and I prayed that I wouldn't die that night in that storm. I knew in my own safe state where I was going, and I believe that in your own safe state, if you think about it, you know you can't get into heaven where you sit with that sin. Well, anyway, that passed by, and it was coming up to the time where we had to decide what we were going to do with our lives. Um, we had to decide what uh, career path we were going to take, and uh, my career teacher was a nun, and it was a bit of an oxymoron, I always say, but 
she was going to tell us what careers we could do. Um, and she brought us in one by one. And whenever I went in, she said to me, Margaret, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a policewoman. Well, you know, at that time, there wasn't many policewomen up the Glenshean Pass in the early 1970s. It was far too dangerous. And she says, does your daddy know you want to be a policewoman? I said, no. We were always used to guns around our house. My father shot clay pigeons um, and duck shooting and whatnot. And my uncle sold guns and ammunition legally for that uh, event. Uh, so I can remember that that's, I thought I would get into police, I would get trained up and I would be able to have a gun and all of this. Not that you'd have wanted it around that time of the, that time of the, the troubles. Uh, but she says, well, we'll talk to your father and mother whenever they come in. And my father and mother come in that evening and daddy had just sat down, he had a wee flat cap on, I think I see him yet. And she said to him, and your daughter wants to be a policewoman. Well, he nearly took the records. He says, she'll be no policewoman, she'll get us all shot. He says she'll be a nurse like them other parents, she'll like it. And the Lord, even in that, directed my paths. Uh, it was decided then that whenever I finished that year at the convent, because I hadn't worked as hard as I should have done on my maths, uh, that I would go along to the uh, tech in Macrofelt and that I would do a pre-nursing course. You used to be able to do a nine-month course, and if you passed that, then you could get to do nursing. So it was decided I would go along to the tech. And that September, uh, I went along to the tech, it was 1975, and I went along to the tech in Macrofelt to do this pre-nursing course. Now, I'd never been at a mixed school before. So I went into this mixed school, and the first day I was getting into the classroom, I looked at one of the girls who was sitting down, and I looked at something, she had something on her, the lapel of her coat, her blazer. And I said, what's that there, to one of the other girls that I knew? And she says, well, you stay away from those people. She says, they're Bible thumpers, and they're very dangerous people. Her badge said, Jesus saves. That's what it said. And you know, it sparked a curiosity in me. And of course, the Lord was drawing me to him. But I couldn't get over this. And I watched that girl right through those nine months to see what she was doing and what she, how she was different. And I can honestly say that her walk was her witness. Whenever we went in to do exams, she sat down, she bowed her head, and she prayed. Whenever we went in to do, uh, or to get our meals, she sat down and she bowed her head and she thanked God for her food. She witnessed to people around her, although I don't remember her ever talking to me, but I was listening to what she was doing and watching her. And I can remember watching her for those nine months and it just fascinated me. I suppose the thing that fascinated me most was her language. To my shame, I can say this, every second word that I said was the Lord's name. We didn't know any better. And there was that girl, and the only time she ever mentioned the Lord's name was when she was telling somebody that they needed to be saved. I just found that amazing. So don't ever underestimate your walk before others. Anyway, I finished the tech, and it was uh, just before we finished, we made an application to get into nursing uh, if we got the results, and I got accepted. On one Saturday morning, I got a letter to say I was accepted to go to Mukamurabe to do uh, mental handicap nursing, it was called at that time. It's now called learning disabilities. And the next, on the Monday, I got the letter to say I'd been accepted to general nursing in Macrofelt. Now, my two sisters were already in Macrofelt, and my father would have liked me to have went there, and so would my mother. But I had it in my heart that I wanted to work with people with special needs. We had a neighbour who had a learning disability, and I always found his habits and the way he, way he, he behaved very interesting. So I decided that that's what I was for doing. Of course, I had no deciding of it. The Lord was drawing me. So on a Sunday afternoon in July of 1976, I went along to Mukamore Abbey. Mummy and Daddy left me off, 
I went into the nurse's home and into the room that I had. I got my key and uh, I went into this wee room. I hung up my crucifix. I put my rosary beads and my prayer book down and I was just putting my, my clothes away when my door got a knock and I answered the door to this girl standing with something in her hand and uh, I said, hello. She says, are you Margaret? My name was on the door so she knew who I was and I says, that's right. She says, well, my name's Sharon and I'm going to be going through the School of Nursing with you and I want to introduce myself. So I thought that was great to get to know somebody. And very quickly that turned, because here she was with this in her hand. And uh, she said, I have something for you. And I says, what is it? She says, a gospel track. Now, I had never seen a gospel track in my life. I was 16 and a half years of age, never seen them in my life. And uh, I says, what is that? And she says, it's a, a wee leaflet telling you how to be saved. You know you need to be saved. And I, immediately it struck up in my head, that's one of those dangerous people that I need to stay away from. And Sharon stood on and she said, Margaret, you know that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, for your sins. And you only have to come to him and ask him to forgive your sins and you'll be ready for heaven. And I was just raging. She started telling me the story of the cross. And there was me just after hanging up the crucifix and she's treating me like an ignoramus, I thought. But she was witnessing for the Lord. And she put the wee gospel tracks down on my bedside locker just beside my prayer book. And she said, I'm going to leave those there and I'll see you in the morning. And I can remember thinking clearly, not if I see you first. And out she went and I closed the door on her. And I thought, I'll avoid her at all costs. I'll find somebody of my own sort. And this is what was going through my head. But even that night when I went to bed and I had knelt down and said the rosary and read the prayer book, I lifted the gospel track and read it. And it very clearly pointed the way of salvation and the need for salvation and how I could come to the Lord and ask him to forgive my sins. And I put it down and I thought, I'll not read any more of that. But the next morning and for the next eight weeks, five days a week, I saw Sharon every day going to breakfast, every day in the classroom, every day coming home. And every day she had a word in season. She was so faithful unto her Saviour. But I think the thing that annoyed me most about her was that she knew God's word in her heart. And she was able to quote scripture when she was telling you why you needed to be saved. And I had nothing but prayer books and rosary beads. And I couldn't even repeat that to her. And I couldn't argue with her really, but I was, oh, I was getting so scundered. I was under conviction of sin and I didn't know it. Anyway, I, I waited to sit down that first day in the school, in the school of nursing, and I sat in the furthest corner I could get. I thought, I'll be safe here. And then I watched her for those eight weeks and I thought to myself, she's a pick against me because I'm a Roman Catholic. But I watched her and she spoke to Roman Catholics, she spoke to Protestants, she spoke to the, the tutors and give them gospel tracts, and even the patients who had understanding, she spoke to them about their need of salvation. She was so faithful, and I often wonder every night when I kneel down, was I as faithful as I should have been today? Anyway, Sharon never missed an opportunity to speak to me about the gospel. I made friends very quickly with two girls. One was from the waterside in Londonderry, and the other was from Pomeroy, and I made sure they were my own sort. And we used to laugh and mock Sharon. But we were that eight weeks in school and came up to the end of that. I thought, at least when I go on to the wards, you're posted to a ward after that for 12 weeks. And I thought, at least when I go on to that ward, I'm going to get away from her. Because when you went into the wards in those days, you locked the door behind you uh, to maintain the patient's health and safety. So I can remember the day before we finished in the school of nursing, we get kitted out in our uniforms. We thought we were nurses after eight weeks in school. But anyway, they let us loose on the wards the next week. And I can remember looking at the list of, of wards that they had posted and who was going where. And I didn't even look for myself first to look for where Sharon was going. 
and she was going to a ward called C8, and I was posted to. I was go, she was going to C9, and I was posted to C8. She was next door to me because they were like semi-detached wards, and I couldn't get over this. I thought I'll have to walk to work with her. I'll have to come home with her. But at least when I'm in there, I'll get peace. Anyway, I started in the wards on the Monday, and Sharon walked over with me, and she said, "I've been praying for you. I'll be praying you have a good day at your work, and I'll see you this evening." And I thought this is shocking. And I went and I locked the door behind me and went into the ward. And um, I thought I was then a nurse. I was going to get doing everything that a nurse does. Of course, I was only at the start of my learning at that stage. They sent me that morning to help with washing and dressing folk and then to get them their breakfast. And then the next thing they sent me for it was to do the laundry. And I wasn't a bit pleased, for it was just been like at home. Only it was for 31 people now instead of 11 or 12 at home. And anyway, I got this big basket of laundry and I went up into the laundry room. And just as I went into the laundry room, somebody came in behind me. And the door closed, and I started to sort out the laundry. And this person spoke to me, and she says, I'm up here to help you with this laundry. I says, that's good. She says, I'm Mary Orange. Well, Mary had to be a Protestant with a name like that. But Mary was from Tubermore, and she was a born-again Christian, and she had me locked in the laundry and continued to witness to me the whole time we were sorting out laundry about my need of salvation. You see, when I look back, I can see it. The Lord sought me, and he bought me with his redeeming blood. But I didn't know that at the time, and I was just so annoyed at these people. If you're being annoyed with the folk that are um, witnessing to you, thank God that you've got people to witness to you and that you still are in the day of grace and that you're hearing God's word and you're hearing of your need of salvation. Anyway, I had 12 weeks in that ward and I got the gospel going to work. I got it in the ward and I got it coming home from work. And it worked on until November of that year, and I knew then, because I had had so many tracks from Sharon, every day she had a fresh track in below my door. There was this wee track came in, it was called The Catholic Bible Has the Answer, and that really piqued my interest, because there was a picture of the Pope in the front of it. So I thought this was good, this might be a good wee book, and I read it, and it showed me very clearly how to be saved, and that you couldn't get to heaven through a priest or a Pope, you had to go through Christ. She gave me another one called The Catholic Bible Has the Answer. And that very clearly told me I needed to go to John 3 and 16. Of course, I'd never read John 3 and 16 at that stage. Anyway, um, the end of November was coming and I was to finish on the ward. And I thought, at least if I get out of here after Christmas, I'm going to Newton Arts and I'll get away from all of this pressure. And the work wasn't a bother to me, but it was the gospel was bothering me so much. I can remember anyway... um, the day before I left the ward, I had to get my wee book filled in. It was a pupil nurse book, and you had to get all these wee things signed that you had done to complete that part of your training. And I had went into the charge nurse called Marty, and I said, Marty, will you fill in my book for me? And she says, he says, oh, well, but I'll not get it all done today. You have to come back tomorrow for it. I says, that's okay. So I came out of the ward that evening, and there was Sharon coming out of her ward. But my two friends were coming out of their ward as well. So I thought, I'll get up with them, and she'll get, leave me alone, maybe. So I ran to get up with uh, Brona and Anne, but Sharon was up beside us. She was quicker than I was. And I can remember her starting to talk about her need of salvation. And we started to laugh and mock at her. Me in particular, I have to say to Machine. And she stopped dead where she was walking. She said, Margaret, I'm going to stop you. Because it says in God's word that God is not mocked. I don't mind what you say about me, but don't mock God or his word. And I knew immediately I was chastised because we had been taught to respect people's beliefs and not to be mocking or, or, or carrying on. And anyway, she had me sort of arrested in what I was saying. 
And uh, the next thing that she said was, um, tomorrow I want you, you three to come along to the Nurses Christian Fellowship and to hear the Word of God. And after that, I'm going to let the three of you alone. And for a split second, I thought that wouldn't be a bad thing. At least it would get rid of her. But then I was smart again, and I said to her, Sharon, I'm not going near it because I'm not allowed into a Protestant church because that's a sin. That's what we were taught. And she said, well, that's okay, Margaret, because the nurses' fellowship is in the nurses' home, or in the school of nursing, and you've been there for eight weeks, so that's not a sin. So she had me, and the three of us agreed that we would stay on until the Monday evening and go along to the Nurses' Christian Fellowship. We went along that Monday evening. We were all packed up for home for Christmas, and we went along with the purpose of mocking and laughing and seeing these people done in meetings. I didn't have a clue what a gospel meeting was. So I went along to it, and... Um, Sharon got up and she opened her Bible and she said, uh, we were to have Pastor Roy Kerr here tonight, but he's not able to come. But she says, I'm going to read and share God's word with you. We thought this was really funny because there was nobody to speak. Sharon said she didn't believe in women preachers, but she could share God's word with us and that she would leave it to the Holy Spirit to direct us. And for the first time in my life, I heard somebody quoting John 3 and 16. And you will know it, I'm sure, from you are a child. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And she read it the second time, but she put my name in the whosoever. But I was raging that she would even name me out in front of people. There's only 10 or 12 people in the room. But nevertheless, I was affronted. And then she read it and put Anne's name on it, and she read it then and put Bruna's name on it. And then she went on and did it. I, I always... I always think about this and always thought it was a funny passage of scripture to share but she went to Matthew 24 and she read from Matthew 24 and she said but of that day and hour knoweth no man no not the angels of heaven but my father only but as the days of Noah were so shall also the coming of the son of man be for as in the days that were before the flood they were eating and drinking marrying and giving in marriage until the flood, until, the, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be, be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. And you see, whenever she read that, I knew in my heart, if God was to come back or to call me, I was going to hell. I knew as sure as I was there that that was going to happen. And if you're here tonight, you need to decide tonight if you're going to heaven or hell. You see, none of us choose the family we're born into, and I not complain about my family in any way. None of us choose the denomination that we're born into, but you will choose where you spend eternity. You will choose. And you need to choose wisely and choose for heaven. That night I wanted to be saved. I really wanted to get saved that night in November. And I thought, if I get saved, what's going to happen? And I let all the doubts come in. And I looked to the two friends who were with me and they were laughing. And I laughed along with them. But I was as miserable as sin. I came out of that meeting. I went over to the bedroom and I thought to myself, that makes total sense to me that I need to be saved to get into heaven. That's why Christ died on the cross. And yet, even as I was saying that, I was making up all these excuses. I thought, my family's not going to want me. My friends aren't going to want me. I played for the county and the camogie team. I'll have nowhere to go. What does them boys do with their lives? 
What will I do? I don't know what I should do. And I remember thinking, I need to be saved, but not yet. And I got into bed and I tried to shake it off. I went home for Christmas and I was, oh, just before I went home for Christmas, I went over the next day to the ward and Marty had my book completed. And I can remember at that time there was a group of joiners and uh, renovating the ward. Uh, Muckamore had been built in 1959, I think it was. And at this stage it got a bit cattered looking. So they were in trying to renovate it and, and tidy it up. And one of the, the workers was a young joiner. And he had been smiling over at me and I had smiled at him. And I was coming like 17, 18 years of age. And I was looking for a boyfriend, I thought. And I liked the look of him. And I thought, well, we'll see what happens. But that day when I went over to get my book... I didn't see anybody. I just lifted the book from Marty. I said my cheerios. I came back over to the nurse's home to lift my bag to get the bus home. And the door got a knock just as I was getting packed up and ready to go. And I opened the door and there's the joiner. And I thought, this is great. He's here to ask me out. And he said, uh, he introduced himself and he said, I was talking to Marty, the charge nurse. And he said that uh, you were leaving today, so I wanted to speak to you. I wanted to ask you something. I says, okay. He says, I want to ask you, do you know that you need to be saved? He was a Christian, a born-again Christian. I thought to myself, they're coming out of the woodwork around here. And I really could not get out of that place quick enough. I really couldn't. I got the bus up home. I spent Christmas at home. Uh, my mum always had everybody for Christmas. And I was as miserable as sin over the Christmas holidays because it really bothered me that I wasn't saved. I had to finish up. I finished in Muckamore. I had to be in... Uh, Newton Arts Hospital for the 1st of January. We were starting the 1st of January because it was a quiet day and they would have time to induct us into the ward and the general part of our training. So I went over on New Year's Eve uh, to the nurse's home. I settled in and then uh, the next morning I went on to the ward and I thought to myself that morning, that's the first morning I've got up that I have met some of those boys telling me that I need to be saved. I'm going to have peace here. Anyway, I went on to the ward and I met the sister and she sat me down and she went through what I was going to do when I was on the ward. And she said, well, I'm a born-again Christian. And she said, I'm going to be looking after you when you're here. So if you need anything, ask me and I'll be praying for you while you're nice. I thought, not another one. Not another. So I had that sister for six weeks. One of the tasks that she was giving me that I had to complete was I had to bring somebody in on an admission right through into theatre and out the other side and follow them right through. And this was one of the big things that I had to do on that placement. And I can remember every day I went on to work, she would have had a word in season for me. And I didn't get away from the Christians there because when she wasn't there, there was another saviour. But I remember anyway, this man came in and she said to me, I'm going to allocate you this admission to do and you will follow him right through into theatre and out the other side. And here's what I want you to do. And she would over everything I had to do. And I said, that's okay. I went down to meet the man and he was 83 years of age. He was in for a laparoscopic examination. Now, 83 at that time seemed very ancient to me doesn't seem so old now. But at that time, and you're, and you're teens, you think that's very old. Anyway, I, I sat down beside the man and I explained to him I was a student nurse. I was going to do his admission. Somebody would check it over and then I would follow him right through into theatre and out the other side. And um, I was doing this wee booklet with him and I came to this bit about death, dying and spirituality. And I was worried that I would say something wrong. So I decided that I would say to him, would you like your minister of religion to visit you when you're in hospital? And I looked up and there's the Bible sitting on his bedside locker. I thought it couldn't be another one. And he just, um, whenever I said to him, but did he want his minister to visit? He says, no, I don't have a minister. I go to the assembly. Well, I didn't know what the assembly was. 
buddies. I go to the assembly and he said, I have been saved since I was 13. I'm ready for heaven. And he says, whatever they find, I'm ready for it. My wife's gone on before me. He says, what about you? Are you ready? So I did that man's admission as quick as I could move. And I got him the tamazepam to put him to sleep. You've never seen a man getting tablets as quick in your life. Eventually, he went to sleep with them, speaking to me about needing to be saved. And whenever he went to sleep, our job then was to get him onto the theatre. Or the porter came, we got him onto the trolley. We took him down into the anaesthetic room. The anaesthetist then woke him up to check out his details, and he wakened him up, and he started to preach to both me and the anaesthetist. I thought he was preaching at us, but he was witnessing. And uh, I thought to myself, would you put him back to sleep? Because every word he was saying was pricking my heart. Anyway, he eventually got back to sleep, and we went into theatre. Whenever we got him onto the theatre trolley, you don't change them over till you get them in there. We put them onto the theatre trolley, and they, I stepped back as far as I could step because I was terrified first time in theatre. I'd never seen anybody's insides, and I wasn't particularly fond of seeing them either, I have to say. But anyway, I stepped back as far as I could to hit the wall, and the big uh, professor that was doing the operation that day, Professor Mead Smythe, said to the sister of the theatre, where's that wee nurse at that came in there, that wee student nurse? And I says, I'm here. He says, get up here at my elbow. So I stepped forward and uh, he made the wee incisions and put the camera on, but he couldn't see what he needed to see. So he got permission from the man to do a full examination. And he opened up the man and he started to go out his bowel. And he said to me, what do you think this is? And I, I was doing a guessing game, really. I said, I think that might be a large bowel. He says, that's right. What's this? I says, that might be a small bowel. And he says, what's this? I says, I don't know. He says, that's cancer. And it's all through this man. But he says, I'm just going to stitch him up here, make him as comfortable as he can. He said, this man's ready for heaven. He goes to our assembly, and he's born again. And so am I, and what about you? And you know, it was like a knife to me. You might as well have took the scalpel to me. I couldn't wait to get out of that theatre. I went out of the theatre with the man, waited to take him round, done his observations as he was coming round. And the next thing was, uh, whenever he came round, he put out his hand, and he caught my arm. And he says, well, what did they find? I said, wait and I'll get you a nurse. And there's me sitting looking like a nurse. But I said, wait, I get you somebody who does know what they're doing. And uh, they'll tell you. And I says, I'm not allowed to tell you for I wouldn't know anything. And he says, well, I know what they found. He says, dear. And he says, I just am glad to know that I'm going home to be with my saviour and to see my wife. He says, I'm saved and ready for heaven. What about you? But you know, that just spoke to my heart. And I knew I was going to hell in the state I was in. I finished on that ward just the next couple of days and I went to a children's ward for two weeks and the Lord wasn't finished with me. I went to that ward and I spent two weeks in it and my last couple of days in the ward there was a weak case that everybody knew about. There was a weak girl of four she had leukemia. She was an end stage leukemia. She had received all the treatment, had done all they could and she was end stage leukemia and her mum and dad was sitting with her and I can remember as well uh, the mother called me over, the father wasn't there and uh, she called me over and she says would you mind holding that, my child until I go to the bathroom and I says no I don't mind at all and I lifted the child and the mother went away and that child took his last breath in my arms and I knew that child had gone to heaven it hadn't reached the age of understanding but I knew where I was going and that word came back to me watch there for you, you know not what or your Lord doth come uh, Muckamore doesn't seem such a bad place after all of that and I went back to Muckamore after that placement finished in the beginning of February. And I couldn't get peace. I couldn't put my head in the pillow at night for I was that scared of dying. I was that scared of going to hell. I wasn't scared of dying, really. I was just scared of going to hell. 
and I can remember every Monday night found me back at the Nurses' Fellowship. Sharon gave me a Bible, and I was reading from that Bible as well as reading from the, the prayer books, and I was getting confused with the prayer book. So I'd put it aside. Then the joiner who had, who had met had started to come up and play the guitar and sing choruses, and Sharon and him knew all they from Ballymena. And I wished this night, on the 25th of March, I'd gone to the Nurses' Fellowship through February and into March, and on the 25th of February, or Mar- 25th of March, I was listening to them singing the choruses and, and playing the guitar and that. And they were lovely, and I thought, I wish I could sing them, but I can't sing them. That's not me. And I remember going back to the room that night, and I was a while away, and I remember getting down beside my bed, and I tried to bargain with God. Don't you ever try to bargain with the Lord? I remember saying to the Lord, I'm going to wait till I'm old, Lord. I know I need to be saved, but not now. I got into bed that night, and after a while I got over to sleep. I remember waking up at a quarter to two in the morning, looking at the clock, and I was ringing. And I looked at the clock, and I thought to myself, thank God I'm still alive. And I got out of the bed, and I went down the corridor to Sharon's room, and I went to knock her door. And as I was trying to knock her door, the door opened. And there was Sharon on her knees beside her bed. I said, Sharon, I'm sorry to disturb your prayers, but I need to get saved. And she says, I know you do, Margaret. She says, we could see the Lord working with you tonight. And her and Elizabeth and Mary Orange and a few of them that had witnessed to me had decided that they would pray all night. And I got down on my knees beside the bed and Sharon kneeling. And I said, Sharon, I need to be saved. But you know, I'm not really a bad person. And then I started to rationalize that I wasn't such a bad person. I wasn't immoral. I wasn't this, I wasn't that. And I remember saying this to Sharon, and she said, well, Margaret, I'm going to not argue with you about this. It's the Lord that's speaking, and I'm going to tell you what he says in his word, and you can decide then if you're a sinner. And she went to Exodus 20, and she started to read the commandments. They shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath. I knew I spent my life before graven images. And she went on, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord the God in vain. And she went on, remember the Sabbath day. I knew I was the sinner that the Lord died for. You see, we we were taught about big sins and wee sins, but there's no such a thing as sin, and no sin can enter into heaven. And I knew the way I was, I deserved hell. And I had known that for months. That night I said to Sharon, I know I need to be saved. Sharon, I'm going to get saved now. And just as I was saying that, the devil's at me, and he says, you'll never keep it. And I prayed the sinner's prayer that night, and as I prayed the sinner's prayer, and I came out of it, finished the prayer, and asked the Lord unto my heart, confessed my son, and asked the Lord unto my heart. I said, Sharon, I hope I'm able to keep this. She says, you'll not be able to keep it, Margaret, and it's nothing to do with you. And she read Jude 24, and now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. She says, salvation's of the Lord. He saved you and he has kept you. He knows your past sins. He knows your present sins. He knows your future sins. He's paid the price so for them. And he will save you and keep you. And then she read John 10 and 28 with me. That neither shall any man pluck me out of his hand. And I thank God that night he saved me. And he has kept me these 47 years almost. The Lord saved me and he kept me. And for all that was in front of me, I didn't know how I would cope. But I know this much that he is able. And he was able for everything that came. Uh, about three weeks after I got saved, I, the next morning I went up for my breakfast. I went to bed, it must have been around three o'clock in the morning after Sharon had prayed with me. I got up at half six to go in the wards. And 
I met a friend of mine, Rosie Mullen from Downpatrick, and uh, I said, Rosie, something happened last night. And she said, what was it? I hope you haven't went with them religious boys. I says, I got saved last night, Rosie. She says, nobody I want to know you now. Well, I said, it's what's the Lord. I'm saved now for time and eternity. And before I got onto the ward at 25 past seven, everybody knew I'd got saved the night before. I never had to tell a soul in Muggamore because it was all around the place. But I put it off for three weeks telling mum and daddy. And after three weeks, I had a talk to Sharon and she says, Margaret, the devil's getting the victory over your testimony. You need to go and tell your mum and daddy before somebody else tells them. So I packed up on my days off and I went up to tell mum and daddy and I went to their home, not to the one I was reared on. And I went to their home and I said, my father was in the living room and mummy was out in the wee scullery and I went out and I said, look at what one, I said, I have something to tell you. And daddy says, what is it? So I brought the Bible out and um, he says, what sort of people are you run about with down there? And I says, he says, are the Roman Catholics? I says, no, they're born again Christians, daddy, and I've got saved too. And he just lifted his fist and knocked me out. Now, I, I remember coming around thinking what happened, but I remember getting up. He helped me up, actually, and I got up, and uh, I, he says to me, you'll get down to Muckmore and you'll pack your bags, and you'll get back here where we can give an eye on you. And I said, no, Daddy, the Lord saved me, and he'll save you too. I hadn't much of the grace of God about me at that stage because I hadn't learned how to witness to people. And I said to him, Daddy, you know, the Lord saved Martin Luther, which is quite true. And he'll save you too. But to my father, Martin Luther, was a heretic. So daddy left me with a scruff of the neck and put me in the, in the front yard and told me to get out and not come back. And I thought my youngest brother was three at the time and I thought I'll never see them again. But the Lord worked in my mother and father's heart. Now, they wouldn't speak to me for a long time. They wouldn't even take a phone call. Every time I rang, they put the phone down. But the Lord worked in their heart. Um, in the meantime, I started to look around for a church to go to. Uh, the joiner had come up and he'd asked me out after I got saved and we started to go out together. We went along, uh, Danny already belonged to a Sharkin Free Church and uh, I started around different churches to see where the Lord, Lord would lead me. And I put out the fleece to the Lord and I said, Lord, if you're going to take me to a church, I need you to give me a clear sign. And I had left something with them. And anyway, I'd went to a few of the churches around about, but it just didn't meet what I needed. I needed to be taught the word of God. Anyway, this Sunday morning I was off and Danny had said to me, I'm going to take you along to the Free Church in Valamina. I said, I'm not going to Paisley's church, Danny. He says, Dr. Paisley's not there, Margaret. That's the Reverend S.B. Cook speaking. So we went into the town hall as it was at that time and I had asked the Lord if he meant me to belong to a church that he would save somebody in that meeting that I would know that that was my church. And I went along to the Free in Valamina and the Reverend S.B. Cook got up to preach. And I, he was so different looking, even from Dr. Paisley. I thought, well, I think maybe I'm safe enough. Well, he started to preach on the unpardonable sin. And there were four souls saved that morning in that meeting. And I heard the word of God preached the way I needed to hear it. And the Lord led me into the church where I have got sound teaching. And I've been able to uh, be taught in the things of God because I need good teaching. Um, I thank God for all that he's done for me. He saved me. Uh, after we decided we would get married, my mother and father then decided to take me to see the priest, and I was very worried about that. But the Lord's able. Whatever it is you're worried about and what's keeping you back from getting saved, God is able. There is nothing impossible or too hard for God. And I remember them taking me along to see that priest, and it was the priest that had buried my granny uh, and money in the chapel. And I remember sitting outside, I wouldn't go into the Mass, and afterwards they took me around the back to see the priest. 
and he was very nice to start with. He says, do you not know we're all Christians, Margaret? And I says, I do, I, I do not. That's not what it says in the Bible. You're either saved or you're not saved. And only if you've asked the Lord into your heart are you saved. And he says, what would you know about the Bible? He says, you're an ignorant wee lassie from the top of the Atlantean Pass. He says, I went to Manus for seven years. And he got angry with me. And I said, look, if you bring me out your Bible, for we had a version of the, do, a version of the Bible in our house, but we were only allowed it down when the priest was in the house because we were too ignorant to read it. But I remember saying to him, you bring me out your version of the Bible. I see what it says in John 3 and 16. It's exactly the same, that verse. And he wouldn't bring it out. And I said, well, what did you tell Granny when you were given her the last rites? And he says, I told her to trust in Christ, for I could do nothing more for her. And I says, well, I'm trusting now because I don't know if I'll get a deathbed of repentance. I have to watch, for I don't know what time the Lord comes. And he just lifted me the scruff of the neck and put me out. I got that well used to being put out of home and of other places that I just left my handbag at the door usually for it was handier. But the Lord undertook. Um, we, Dan and I got engaged. We got married. None of my family would come to the wedding. And we prayed about it. And about a year after I was saved, about a year and a half, I was in distress about my parents and my family. And I left this with the Lord. And I do the Robert Murray McShane's Bible reading in the morning every day. Uh, it takes you through the Bible every year. And I remember that day I go down my knees and I said, Lord, I need you to speak to me and tell me you're going to save my family. And I remember uh, that day I was reading in Joshua, and it was Joshua 2. And I came to that verse 13 and it says, and that you will save alive my mother and my father and my brother and my sisters. And I took that as a promise that God gave me. And I prayed that, that God would show me that he was going to save them. And he did. Anyway, 37 years later, None of my family saved, and I'm still praying for them. And I can remember my mother was in hospital for the last time. They'd asked us back, and they'd put us out, and they'd asked us back. And eventually we got back in, but we weren't allowed to leave any tracks or anything. But I could always witness to them verbally. So this uh, time, Mummy went into the hospital for the last time. She'd had cancer, and this was the third occasion. She'd had to go in with a different kind of cancer, and we knew she wasn't coming out. And for 14 days she was in hospital. I couldn't get near the bed. With ten of us, and now most of them's married at this stage, with children of their own. So if there wasn't the nieces and nephews, there was brothers and sisters around the bed. I couldn't get near my mother, and I had witnessed to her on many occasions, but she always just told me to stop. And anyway, this particular day, I'd been working in Belfast, and I was on my way home, and I rang Danny, and I said, Danny, I'm going to wait. I'm going to come down home and get changed and go back up and wait all night if I have to, because I need to speak to Mummy about her soul. He says that's okay. So I went down home and I got changed and back up to the hospital for half seven. Now half seven was the visiting time when everybody came in and there was always a crowd around the bed. There was absolutely nobody at her bed. And I went in and the wee nurse was sitting writing her notes in the middle of the ward and Mummy has her hand grabbing at the rail. And I put out my hand and caught her hand. I says, Mummy, are you all right? No, I'm not all right, Margaret. She says, I'm dying. And it was on the tip of my tongue to say to her, you're not dying. And God stopped me. And I says, well, Mummy, if you're dying, Hasn't God been good to you? And she opened her eyes and she says, What are you talking about, Margaret? I says, You're in your right mind, you're 80 years of age, and you're still spared and in your right mind, and God is still speaking. And I said, You can ask the Lord to forgive your sins, Mommy. Confess your sins to Him and ask Him to take away your sin and make you ready for heaven. And just as I said that, she closed her eyes. And uh, I said, The wee nurse had come over there and put her arm around me because, of course, I was crying at this stage. 
and uh, my mother was had closed her eyes. I thought she'd gone into a coma or something. And I said to the nurse, do you think she's going into a coma? She says, no, she's saying something there. And she was mumbling something. And whenever the nurse stood with me a minute or two and she came round, Mommy opened her eyes and she says, I've done it, Margaret. I says, what have you done, Mommy? She says, I've asked the Lord into my heart. The Lord saved my mother. And for 17 more days, she was spared to witness to other people that she was saved and ready for heaven. The Lord answers prayer. And I have to say tonight that if you're here and you're not saved, you're on the day of grace because God allowed you to come along to a gospel preaching church where you can hear the word of God. There'll be no excuse will hold any water when you stand before him if you're not saved. You must be born again. It says in John 3, you must be born again. It's not optional. It's the only way. And you have to get that because you must be saved to get into heaven. You must go into heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ. I would like to leave a portion of scripture with you out of Psalm 103, verses 3 and 4. And it says there, if I can find it here, it says in Psalm 103, verses 3 and 4, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. The Lord has saved me and he has kept me and he has crowned me with loving kindness and tender mercy. And that's what the Lord wants to do for you tonight if you're unsaved. Do you know, I was reading uh, Job the other day and I find Job quite a hard book for you. went through so much. But I came to tw chapter 22 and it says, Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Isn't that a lovely verse of scripture? Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. And the only peace that you will have is whenever you ask the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart. I have laid my head in the pillar every night since the Lord saved me and I never worried about dying because I knew if I did go, I was going to heaven. You can be sure of salvation tonight if you put your trust in him. And if you're here and you're backslidden and you're not living for the Lord the way you should, can I just remind you that the Lord loves the backslider. He didn't leave you. Whenever Peter... And I often think on the privileges Peter had going around with the Lord Jesus Christ for three and a half years and listened to him preach and seeing the miracles that he'd done and he started to fall afar off whenever he was sitting, whenever he was at the fire with the Roman soldiers, whenever the Lord was being whipped. And Peter stood there afar off and he got far away from the Lord that far that he cursed his Saviour. Think on the shame of that. And yet when the Lord rose again from the dead, he asked for Peter. He was married to the backslider. And he'll take you back today and he'll restore unto you the years that the locusts have taken and make what, what life you have left count for him. Come to the Saviour tonight. I'd like to thank Margaret for bringing that word of testimony to her hearts and we just leave with you the challenge that has been brought this evening and you need the Lord Jesus Christ, you need the Saviour, you need to trust in him. It's nothing of ourselves. We are sinners in the sight of a holy God, but we have a mighty Saviour who is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. And if you're not saved, then trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Saviour and as your Lord. We're going to close by singing the hymn uh, 604. We're going home to glory soon to see the city bright, to walk the golden streets of heaven 
and bask in God's own light, but some of you are out of Christ and held by many a snare. We cannot leave you lost and alone. We want you over there. Isn't that what we desire for you, that you might know the Saviour too? We'll sing um, verses 1 and 2 of the hymn, and we'll stand as we sing 604. say to you if you are spoken to tonight then speak to us uh, speak to margaret or myself or somebody you know in the congregation and come and trust the lord jesus christ as your savior tonight don't go away without him we want you over there our loving god and our gracious father in heaven we do thank thee for the word of testimony tonight we thank thee for a life saved and not only for time, but for all eternity. And, O oh God, we do thank Thee for the assurance that one day the pearly gates will open wide and we shall enter in. And we thank Thee for that place of bliss and happiness. We do thank Thee for the God who hears and answers prayer. We'd ask Thee that Thou would continue to work in Margaret's family and draw them to Thyself and Lord, we pray for all of our family circles that thou wouldst be pleased to speak to hearts and draw sinners to thyself. And we pray that thou wouldst bless us now and be with us, take our thanks for the good things that have been prepared for us. May we eat and drink to thy glory. And then when we part one from the other, may we do so in the fear and in the blessing of Almighty God May the Lord be with us, not only through to tonight, but throughout all eternity. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with thy people both now and in the incoming days. For Jesus' sake, 
Amen. Amen.